you'd please turn in your copy of God's Word uh, to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, we are continuing our sermon series uh, through Leviticus, and we are looking this morning uh, at chapter 3. We will be looking at all of chapter 3 uh, this morning, and today we look at uh, the peace offering. Just a reminder, uh, chapters 1 through 7, we are looking at the five primary offerings that were to be offered by Israel to the Lord. Uh, Those are the burnt offering and the grain offering, which we have already looked at. Today we will look at the peace offering. Uh, Next week we will look at the sin offering and then the guilt offering uh, as well. But as I have already noted today, we focus our attention uh, on the peace offering. So please give attention with me to the reading of God's holy inspired and infallible word. If his offering is the sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, As a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off, close, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it, as his offering for a fruit offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma." All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your heads with me in a quick word of prayer? Oh Lord, we come now to this passage that speaks of an offering that brings peace with you, a holy God, and we as rebellious sinners. 
And so, Father, naturally, we are to have our hearts drawn to Jesus Christ as that one offering that we ourselves have not offered up, but that Christ himself has offered himself up to you as our peace offering, so that we might forever have fellowship with you, so that we might dine with you and with our Lord and our King in that heavenly marriage banquet that awaits us when Christ comes again. So as we read here and study here the peace offering, draw our hearts to Jesus Christ, who is our once and for all peace offering. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we look at the peace offering, and what we notice is that the peace offering is really very similar to the burnt offering. Uh, You compare chapter 1, where we looked at the burnt offering, and chapter 2 here with the peace offering, and it seems almost like a repeat in many ways. Uh, You have different classes of animals that could be offered. Uh, The animals had to be unblemished. Uh, The offerer had to slaughter the animal before the altar, uh, and the blood of the animal was thrown on to the altar. And the animal, upon Uh, being burnt upon the altar would transform into smoke, and that smoke would ascend up to heaven where God is seated as a pleasing aroma to the Lord that they were offering to. However, we do notice that there are distinct differences uh, between the burnt offering and the peace offering here, and I just want to note uh, three differences here. First, unlike with the burnt offering where the animal had to be a male, We see here with the peace offering, the animal could be either male or female. Uh, Second, unlike with the burnt offering where the whole animal would be burnt on the altar, uh, as we see here throughout this passage here in chapter 3, the whole animal would not be burnt, but just the fat of the animal would be burnt on uh, on the altar and ascend like smoke up to God. Whether the offering is of the herd from the flock or a goat, what was to be offered to the Lord was the fat portions of the animal in the peace offering, unlike with the burnt offering where it was the whole animal offered. And third, with the peace offering, as will be made clear when we get to chapter 7, both priests and the people of Israel uh, would share in the meal. Uh, They would get a portion of the offering and share in the meal that the Lord himself symbolically is partaking in. Notice that it calls it a food offering to the Lord. Uh, This is why you have the prohibition at the end of verse 17 that says, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you eat neither fat nor blood. That prohibition implies that there is eating going on within this offering. And again, that's going to be made abundantly clear when we get to chapter 7. And so what the peace offering was, was really a fellowship meal uh, between the Lord and his people. Uh, Oftentimes, the peace offering is actually called a fellowship offering. And the reason it is called a fellowship offering is due to the fact uh, that at the end of the offering, you would have the people themselves uh, share a meal with the Lord have a fellowship meal with the Lord in his house. And so oftentimes this peace offering is called a fellowship offering for that very reason. 
And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning is look at the underlying significance of this fellowship meal uh, with the Lord. And I just want to look at three things. First, I want us to see that it confirms the peace of God. Uh, Second, it celebrates the forgiveness of God. And third, it brings communion with God. It confirms the peace of God. It celebrates the forgiveness of God. It brings communion with God. So first, it confirms the peace of God. Meals were an important part of covenant making in the ancient Near East. Uh, Eating with other people was a significant event in ancient days uh, for only the parties that were at peace with one another would share in a meal together. Uh, And it it often served as a confirmation uh, of the covenant relationship that was established between two parties. You would have a covenant that would be established between two parties and the seal, if you will, the capstone, the confirmation of that pact that was made between the two parties uh, often followed with a meal. Uh, You can just think of a marriage covenant when husband and wife come together and they they take their vows, what often follows after that covenant-making ceremony, but a meal that sort of seals and and confirms that covenant uh, that has taken place between uh, the two parties. Uh, We see this, for instance, with Laban and Jacob in Genesis 31, uh, verse 51 through 54, uh, where Laban and Jacob come to a truce and confirm that truce Uh, by breaking bread, uh, by sharing a meal uh, together. Uh, But more significantly, we see it in Exodus 24, when God confirms his covenant relationship with Israel, when he invites the elders of Israel, who are meant to represent the nation of Israel, he invites the elders of Israel up to Mount Sinai to share a meal with him. Uh, We see that in Exodus 24, verse 11. And more than likely, the food that they are eating there in Exodus 24, 11 is the oxen that they had sacrificed for the peace offering in Exodus 24, uh, verse 5. As the representatives of Israel share in a meal with the Lord on Mount Sinai, it is an indication that the Lord and Israel and the, the Israel that those elders represent are at peace. It serves as a sort of capstone and seal to that covenant that is established in Exodus 19 when you get that meal in Exodus 24 on Sinai. When the Lord dines with his people, he is confirming the peace of the covenant relationship that he has established with his people. I often heard growing up, there are two things you should really never talk about when you're sharing a meal with someone, especially people you don't know very well. And those two things were politics and religion. And what's the reason for doing that? I think it's pretty good advice. I'm not going to tell you I've followed that advice every time, but I think it's pretty good advice that you shouldn't talk about politics and religion when you're sharing a meal, especially with people you don't know too well. Why? Why is that? Well, because it could possibly disrupt the peace of fellowship that is to exist as you share a meal together. The meal is meant to to solidify camaraderie, unity, family. 
How many times has the mother of, of, of the meal, if you, if you will, with a family gathering, had to say to a bunch of men going off on some political tangent, boys, boys, not while we're eating. And the men will, you know, stop and say, I'm sorry, probably resume after the meal is done. But so long as food is on the table, that food is to symbolically represent camaraderie, unity, peace. A couple weeks back in our Easter sermon, we looked at John chapter 20, where Jesus' first words three different times to his disciples upon being resurrected is, peace be with you. And the, the very next chapter in John chapter 21, which we have read in our unison reading of Scripture, what do we get Jesus doing but preparing a meal for his disciples, breaking bread with them? And John 21 verse 12 says that they then knew that it was the Lord, the Lord of peace, revealing himself by dining with his disciples. When Christ comes and dines with us, even now this very day at the Lord's table, he is confirming to us the peace that he has brought by way of his blood. And 1 Corinthians 11.26 tells us that this is a meal that we are to participate in all the way up until the day Christ comes again. In other words, what the Lord lays before us in the Lord's table is a perpetual peace meal where he is dining with us in Christ, reminding us, confirming to us the once and for all peace that he has established and won for us in Christ and his blood. And it's not a meal that we enter into after a long and arduous sacrificial ritual. No, it is a meal that God invites us to by his grace for us as sinners. Listen to the words of Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come freely and dine and eat and taste of the peace meal that Jesus Christ offers us by way of his blood. So we see that this peace offering, which was really a fellowship meal, uh, really confirms for the people of Israel uh, the fact that peace has been made uh, by the blood that has been shed in the sacrifice. And for us as New Covenant Christians, as we come together at the Lord's table, we are to be reminded that God is confirming to us uh, the once and for all peace that he brings by way of the blood of his son. Second, it celebrates forgiveness. It celebrates forgiveness. Within Israel, a meal was often something that meant celebration. Uh, consider for a moment Nehemiah 8, where you have the Israelites, upon hearing the word of the law given to them, they start to mourn and become sad because of the fact that they have become rebellious to that law. 
But then you have Ezra and Nehemiah come to the people and say, do not mourn or weep. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So bound up with joy and celebration is food that Ezra and Nehemiah command the people to go and to eat. And this eating was to be symbolic of the joy they had for understanding the law of God. It's true today, isn't it, when you hear someone has a birthday or an anniversary, you just instinctively ask them, well, how did you guys celebrate your birthday or anniversary? And what's the answer you get back the vast majority of the time? They'll tell you what restaurant they went to. It's true in our culture that that food, sharing a meal, is just bound up with celebration. And so it was in the ancient Near East. Joy and celebration was connected to a meal shared together. And what is it that is being celebrated here in this peace offering but the forgiveness of sins? It is the peace that comes to God's people as he forgives them of their sin, as they offer the sacrifice, the substitute on his altar for their sins. Take note of verse 5, where we are told the peace offering was placed atop of the burnt offering. Now, it's worth considering here that the burnt offering and the grain offering and the peace offering, burnt offering and grain offering, which we've looked at, Today, we look at the peace offering. Those three offerings were often offered together. They served as sort of a three parts of the one sacrificial ritual. And they were considered within Israel to be the most basic and general offerings of the people that would be given on a daily uh, and weekly basis. Uh, The next two offerings, which we will look at in a couple of weeks, Uh, The sin offering and the guilt offering are more specific. Uh, They were meant for particular lapses in sin, whereas the burnt grain and peace offering uh, were your general offerings of the people that would be given throughout the year uh, and would often be given together. Start with the burnt offering, move to the grain offering, and end with the peace offering. And so with the burnt offering, grain offering, and peace offering, what do you have but this sort of movement toward celebration, this movement toward this meal with Yahweh? You begin with slaughtering an animal in the burnt offering, placing it upon uh, the altar, the burnt offering, and the whole animal descends or ascends as smoke as a pleasing aroma to God. You then move into the grain offering, which is to be a token of praise and thanksgiving, and then you move into the peace offering, which again you have blood being spilt for sin, thrown on the altar, and when the fat portions have been burnt and ascend into smoke, that sacrificial ritual for atonement has been completed. Peace has been restored between the holy God and the sinful offerers. And what was to take place but a meal of celebration, a meal of celebration between the Lord Yahweh and his people. But while this is also a celebration for the forgiveness of sin and the peace that God brings by way of sacrifice, 
It is also a celebration of the Lord himself who forgives sin. Take note of verse 17 that indicates to us that the people are not to eat the blood. Well, the reason that they were not to eat the blood, as we are told in Leviticus 17.11, is because the blood symbolically represented really what was the essence of a living being, his life. It was the most precious part of a living being, and only the blood belongs to the one who is the creator and giver of life. Verse 16, and really the whole passage, all these sort of intricate details of sort of disgusting details of what you have to to rip out of these animals is just really laying out uh, for us in specific form how they are to get all of the fat off of these animals. And we are told in verse 17 that the fat is always to be given to the Lord. Well, you might, when you get a steak, cut off the fat. I know I do. But in ancient Israel, the fat was the best portion of the animal. And so this statute that is to be for Israel forever, where, where, whenever they offer up a sacrifice and give the fat portions to the Lord, is telling us that they were to give the best part, the filet mignon, if you will, to the Lord. Think about when you celebrate somebody's birthday, and you have the birthday boy or the birthday girl, and they always get to choose what meal you have. And whenever the cake comes out, that birthday boy or birthday girl always gets to choose uh, what slice of the, of, the, of the pie or the cake that they want. They get the biggest and greatest portion. Why? Because you're there to celebrate them. And so it is here with the Lord getting the fat portions in the meal. It is a sign that the people, as they are eating, are celebrating the Lord who has forgiven their sins. It's a reminder that they are not merely celebrating the benefits, but they are celebrating the benefactor himself. But they are celebrating the one who has forgiven them and forgives their sin. When we gather together on Sunday, we don't just celebrate the benefits of the gospel. We celebrate the benefactor himself. We don't just simply swim in the reality that we are justified in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our eyes and the eyes of our hearts are to be drawn to the one who justifies us in the blood of his Son. When we consider the fact that we have become heirs of the kingdom of God and joint heirs with our elder brother Christ, we aren't to just swim in the benefits of that reality, but we are to lift our voice in praise and celebration for the one who has adopted us as sons and daughters in the blood of his son. As we consider all the benefits of redemption that are ours in Christ, we are to gather together and sing praise and thanksgiving in celebration of the great benefactor, our Lord and our God. We are not just merely to celebrate our changed status as Christians, but we are to celebrate the one who has changed us by his Son and through his Holy Spirit. So we see that this fellowship offering uh, brings celebration before God, the God who has forgiven them 
their sins. We are not just to merely swim in the benefits of redemption. We are to have our eyes and the eyes of our hearts pointed to the benefactor, the one who forgives us, the one who has made us heirs of the kingdom of God. Third and finally, the fellowship offering brings communion with God. The fellowship offering brings communion with God. Remember what we have noted throughout, especially at the introduction of Leviticus, uh, what the book of Leviticus is really seeking to answer. It is seeking to answer the question, how can the tabernacle, which is the dwelling place of God, become the meeting place of God, the place where Yahweh, the Lord in all his glory, can meet with his people? The whole book of Leviticus really is asking the question, how can one enjoy the presence of God? And what you have with the peace offering is God inviting his people into his house for a meal, inviting them into his presence to share a meal with them. As the offerer moves from burnt offering to grain offering to peace offering, they are moving toward the presence of God. And he shares a meal with his forgiven people. And it is in the presence of God where life itself is found. Consider Psalm 36, verse 8 through 9. They feast on the abundance of your house, And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Where is light and life found? But in union and communion with God. It is found when we we dine with God who alone is light and life. And and in this way, the burnt offering sort of leading up to the peace offering really serves as a microcosm for the whole Bible's narrative. What is the whole Bible really about? But God moving his rebellious, sinful people back to himself so that he can say to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that movement of all of redemptive history from Genesis all the way to Revelation reaches its culmination in Revelation 22, verse 4 through 5, where we read, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. The movement of these first three sacrifices from burnt offering to grain offering to peace offering really serves as a microcosm for the movement of Genesis post-fall all the way to the consummation in Revelation when we will be filled with God's presence, his light, and his life. And we will dine with Christ in that marriage supper of the Lamb. I want us just to consider one last thing as we close here this morning. Take note of the distinction that we made at the beginning uh, between the burnt offering and the peace offering. With the burnt offering, it must have been a male 
that was offered at the altar of sacrifice. But with the peace offering, it could be both male or female. Now, what does that mean for us? What are we to consider when we see that distinction there? Well, I think it's worth considering that with the burnt offering for Israel, that was the one offering that was most closely tied to the idea of atonement to the idea of forgiveness of sins. If you were to play a word association game with an ancient Near Eastern Israelite, and you were to ask them which offering is most closely associated with forgiveness of sin and atonement, they would say, without fail, the burnt offering. And so it is fitting that the burnt offering must be male, because it symbolically pointed to the need of a new Adam. The Hebrew word for Adam quite literally means man. There is a need for a new man. There must be a new man who represents his people as holy and unblemished, unlike the first Adam who rebelled in the garden as our representative. And he must offer himself up as a spotless sacrifice for sin. But take note that the peace offering, which was either male or female, was placed atop of the burnt offering in verse 5. The unblemished male representative must come first and through him in union and communion with God for both male and female. Male and female placed atop of the representative male and his sacrifice brings dining and fellowship and meal with God. It brings both male and female into God's presence. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As we place ourselves atop of Jesus Christ, who is that whole burnt offering that has consecrated his whole body and blood on our behalf before the altar of God, and we lay ourselves upon him, all people, male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and free, find union and communion with God and enter into his presence. Really, as we see the peace offering, male and female, laid atop the male representative in the burnt offering, we are getting an indication of that wide-ranging mercy and grace that is found in Jesus Christ and his blood. That is now for all people of all races, of all ethnicities, both male and female. And as we place ourselves atop the spotless new Adam, who has sacrificed himself for us, we enter into the presence of God. We dine with God in and through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you that Jesus Christ is that whole burnt offering that he is that one that has been placed 
atop the fires of your holy wrath against sin, that his whole body and blood has been sacrificed unto you so that he can utter those words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so as we lay ourselves atop of him, as we cling to him and lay our hands on him by faith, all of us, male and female, every single individual from the four corners of the earth are invited in to that fellowship meal that you place before us, that confirms the peace once and for all that you have established with us, your covenant people, by way of the blood of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray now as we enter into a fellowship meal that our hearts, even as we speak and converse, converse and ask about each other's days and about our lives, that we would consider that what we are doing is we are fellowshipping together as those blood-bought people who are confirmed in the peace that you have won for us in and through your Son. Bless our fellowship meal, we pray. And we pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts would be knit together as they are knit to Jesus Christ, that one who has laid down his sacrifice once and for all for the sins of the world. It is in his name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. How sweet and awesome is the place With Christ within the doors While everlasting love displays The choicest of her stores While all our hearts and all our songs Join to admire the feast each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice And rather starve than come T'was the same love that spread the feast That sweetly drew us in Else we had still refused to taste And perished in our sin uh, Please remember to stay afterwards for our fellowship meal. Uh, now hear uh, the benediction of our Lord and God. Uh, the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <laughs>